Later this month, assassinated Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe will be laid to rest at the state funeral that comes months after his death. You may remember Abe was shot in like July, which it's kind of weird they're waiting this long. I don't know. I mean, I, the emperor may be next, his funeral right around the corner. I don't have a real answer for why they're waiting uh, so long, but in completely unrelated news, Vice President Kamala Harris will lead the U.S. delegation to the funeral in conjunction with her visit to South Korea on September 25th. Now, clearly Kamala Harris isn't worth holding up a fast food drive through for, so you're not going to do that for a state funeral for a foreign leader. But the timing is interesting, as is the White House's statement on the delegation saying, quote, her visit will honor her legacy, the legacy of Prime Minister Abe, and underscore the importance of his leadership championing the alliance between the United States and Japan. Yeah, they used Kamala, importance, and leadership in the same sentence, which has to be some violation of language code. That's like Corinne Jean-Pierre. It's got that written all over it, probably in purple crayon, knowing KJP. Uh, in an early press release, the office of the vice president has released some selected portions of her planned remarks at the funeral, which I will do now. Japan is a country? Yeah, think about that. A country with people living in it. And one of those people was Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Mm -hmm. And although he doesn't live in it anymore, his body will remain. Think, think about it. He was here and then he wasn't here, but now he's still, he still is here. And that's something that should inspire us all for unity, uh, for, for togetherness, for existence. Yeah, and you may not know this, but I, I didn't go to a funeral until I was in my mid-30s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because you don't cross a picket line, and also grapes are delicious. And people don't know this, but Shinzo, Abe himself, liked grapes, you know? So think about that for a moment. And, and now the vine that made up his life will remain delicious in our memories forevermore. Yeah, think about that. Grapes. Stu does America. Strange speech. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Use the promo code Stu to save 10 bucks. If you're watching on YouTube, like this video right this second. It's the best thing you can do with your day. Rob Eno joins us uh, here in a little bit to talk about the elections and everything now that his Brian Stelter hangover has abated. The woke left is getting ready to make bacon out of Peppa Pig, which I will not stand for. But we start by doing Democratic Momentum. Yes, we put a question mark after this one because I keep hearing this from the media and I keep hearing over and over again that the Democrats have changed the dynamic of the midterm election. They are now on this incredible run of success. And who could possibly question it? And I just, I don't know that I see it. And I want to go through some of the evidence for this today to see if you see it, because maybe I'm missing something. Maybe you can inform me what I am missing. Um, there is a new poll out saying that Biden versus Trump head to head is going to go Biden's way by a six point margin, 48 to 42. And this is a three-point gain for Joe Biden from the last time they ran this poll. He had a three-point lead in August. Now it is a six-point lead. And 
This is the type of stuff that the Democrats are pointing to. They're saying, wait a minute, look at this. Uh, Joe Biden's becoming more popular. He's off the floor of his approval rating. He's inching toward 40 percent. He may even get there someday in the future. So what is going on? Uh, First of all, that gives you a nice, big, bright neon sign as to why they're always talking about Donald Trump. They want this election to be about Donald Trump because they know there's a big built-in opposition to Donald Trump. Those people are not judging whether Joe Biden is doing a good job. They're judging whether they like Donald Trump or not. The left, I will say, in an intelligent election tactic, it's evil, it's wrong, it's doing all the things. It's also putting someone who they say is Hitler closer to power. But for a short-term political gain, it's a good strategy because there are a lot of people who look at Joe Biden and say he's done a bad job, but I'd like Donald Trump even less than that. I want him, I don't want another time with Donald Trump. And you may say, well, they're idiots for that. And uh, you'd probably be right. But I will say, it doesn't matter if they're idiots or not. They still, their vote counts as much as yours, which is a problem with our system. If you go back to the Constitution, really small print, it says that my vote should count for like a million and all the idiots should not count at all. But that, they, don't, they don't enforce that part of the Constitution. They never do it. They never do. So what are the polls actually saying right now? I want to go to the Senate. And the Senate is the sort of 50-50 uh, supposedly 50-50 sort of thing we're looking at right now. Now, I, if you look at 538, Nate Silver, who uh, is, you know, a, a moderate Democrat, but uh, has, does a lot of really good work at 538, he will tell you that they're at something like 75-25 chance for Democrats to hold the Senate, basically the opposite for the House, where Republicans are favored pretty heavily. So is that right? Are we understanding? I think it's right if you look at You want to look at a snapshot if the election were held today. But here's the thing. It's not held today. And we also have to look at where are the trends going right now? Where where is the momentum? Because I'm told it's on the Democratic side. So let's go through some of these Senate races and you tell me where the momentum is. Let's start in some not even, you know, uh, not not even big, important races. These are races that are maybe uh, and there's certainly each one is as important as the others because they all count for one seat. But like one that not not a big uh, uh, toss-up type of election. Let's see what we're, where we see the momentum there. Let's go to Missouri. Missouri uh, has Bush Valentine, the Democrat, against Eric Schmidt, the Republican. Now, on July 27th, there was a poll that Schmidt led by six points. So you'd think with some Democratic momentum mixed in, this could be a pure toss-up right now, right? Well, the most recent poll, August 25th, says Schmidt is up 11. So the Democratic momentum there is Republicans plus five. Okay, well, let's go to that's a Republican leading state, Missouri. That's one that the Republicans should win. Frankly, they've got a good candidate there. They should win that that race. Let's go to uh, a Democratic state where the Democrats are favored to win in a big way. And we'll go to Washington. Now, Washington, uh, a state where uh, Murray, uh, the incumbent, is going up against Smiley. This is a candidate that the Republicans uh, think has some uh, some hope and some uh, a future. But as you see, on July 10th, Murray was up by 18 points. So you think with the Democratic momentum factored in here, you're going to see, what, a 25-point lead, 30-point lead? No, the latest poll from September 7th has Murray up only by nine. Now, look, Murray's still a heavy favorite to win that race, but all of a sudden we're back in leaning category, and the Democratic momentum in that race is Republicans plus nine that doesn't play into the narrative very well. But maybe those are those are outlier states. Those are big leaners. Those are, you know, they're not even 
they're not really in the toss-up category. Let's go through some of the main Senate races and really look at them. Let's start with Wisconsin. You have the incumbent, Ron Johnson, the Republican going against Barnes, the Democrat. And on August 15th, you had a poll with Barnes up by seven. Now, that that's notable because you know, Johnson's the incumbent in Wisconsin. And I will notice note that the Wisconsin polling has been particularly bad. A lot of people complain about polls all the time. They say polls don't work. They don't work. Honestly, they do a decent job. They're just not perfect. Uh, however, in Wisconsin, they've been pretty bad, I will say. Uh, Barnes plus seven on August 15th. On August 30th, with the Democratic momentum, you'd see a big move to the left. No, unfortunately, for the left, on the August 30th poll, it's Barnes plus two. The Democratic momentum in Wisconsin, Republicans plus five. Hmm. So I'm sensing a pattern here. Are you? Are you sensing a pattern here? Let's go to North Carolina. Beasley versus Bud. Uh, the Republican is Bud in this race. Beasley, the Democrat. On 8-15, August 15th, we had a tie. And that was the race uh, in an in a actual, actual deadlocked tie, officially. But we got another poll on 9-4, and that's September 4th, just a few days. Now that's Bud up by three. The Democratic momentum in North Carolina, Republicans plus three. This is not what the media is telling us. And I went through all these polls and, you know, there are some outlier polls you can see here or there. I tried to avoid those because, you know, I don't want to bolster my case unfairly. Sometimes you have, uh, you know, polls that are outliers and that's okay. But, you know, you try to I try to avoid the outlier polls to kind of give you a picture of all these races sort of looking Kind of like a similar in a similar fashion. For example, Florida, Val Demings going against Marco Rubio. Now, I don't really consider this a toss up race. I don't think Rubio is going to lose this race. But on August 12th, there was a poll that had Val Demings up by four. This is a big part of the Democratic momentum story. So if the Democratic momentum is continuing, you'd see what? Plus six, plus seven, plus eight for Demings. No, we see Marco Rubio up by three on September 4th. And that poll the Democratic momentum in Florida, Republicans plus seven. Hmm. How about Nevada? <laughs> you getting this pattern yet? Nevada, Cortez Masto, the Democrat, the incumbent, up against Laxalt, the Republican. Now, on July 20th, there was a poll, had Cortez Masto up by six. Latest poll, August 24th, Cortez Masto up by one. Republicans plus five. And I will say I skipped over the poll in Nevada in particular that had Laxalt ahead. There's actually a poll now that has Laxalt ahead. I skipped that one because it's a little bit of an outlier maybe, but who knows? It seems like this Democratic momentum is really helping Republicans for some reason. Uh, Ohio. Again, this is a state that Republicans should be winning. But on July 28th, Ryan was up over Vance by three in the poll. And we got an update on August 16th. And that one showed Vance up by three. So from the Democrat up by three to the Republican up by three, that's a six point move for Republicans. The momentum for the Democrats in Ohio is Republicans plus six. What? If we're having all this Democratic momentum, why do I have so many examples of this? Arizona, Kelly versus Masters. Kelly, the incumbent against Masters, the Republican. On August 16th, Kelly was up by eight points. And that's kind of people are saying, remember, this is the time that Mitch McConnell is pulling money out of Arizona saying, I don't know, maybe this is a lost cause. We'll see. Is it? Because the 827 poll has Kelly up only by three 
a three-point race. That's a, basically a toss-up. The Democratic momentum in Arizona is Republicans plus five. Hmm. How about Georgia? Georgia, big race. We know Herschel Walker, the Republican, against Raphael Warnock, the Democrat. On July 26th, we had a poll. Raphael Warnock up by four. Pretty much a toss-up race. Pretty close. Uh, but Warnock with the lead. And this is the type of race that everyone was talking about. This is the race where you had people coming out and saying, you know, we need to have better candidates. Herschel Walker is not a good enough candidate. He's, he's not going to win this race. J- Raphael Warnock, he might be the next presidential candidate for the Democrats. That's how good he is. He's an incredible up-and-coming superstar on the left. Legitimately, that was the narrative when this poll came out on July 26th. Well, we have an update. August 29th, a new poll came out and had Herschel Walker up by two. In fact, there's multiple polls with Walker now having the lead. The Democratic momentum in Georgia, Republicans plus six. How about Pennsylvania? We've talked a lot about the Pennsylvania race. It's kind of a fascinating one, mainly because one of the candidates is almost dead. The other one, I don't even know anything about, (laughs) Uh, frankly. Dr. Oz, I I don't know. Is he going to be a good senator? I I frankly don't know. I do know he will not be a socialist like John Fetterman is. John Fetterman is Bernie Sanders in a hoodie. He looks like Herman Munster, and he seems to have the verbal acuity of Herman Munster at this point as well. And this is because he was Uh, affected with a stroke in the middle of the campaign. Not his fault, uh, but, you know, Pennsylvania kind of has the right to ask for a candidate that can do the job. And I know it's it's hard to say that because, you you, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing when someone's having health problems to say, I just don't think you can do this right now. But the truth is he can't do this right now. Now, if he was completely healthy, he'd also be a terrible senator. It's important to understand this. The reason to vote against John Fetterman is not because he had a stroke. It's because he sucks. He's a terrible, terrible senator and will do a terrible job for this country. But that's beside the point. Dr. Oz is the challenger there. And on uh, August 21st, we had the poll of Fetterman plus 13, a 13-point lead. This seemed out of reach. A lot of people were saying it was out of reach. Now, I was talking to you about this race at the time, and I said, you know, look, number one, you've got a sympathy card here going for Fetterman. A lot of people feel bad. He had a stroke. He hasn't been seen in public. They don't know yet, really, that he can't speak uh, I don't think these polls can be trusted at this point. I believe this will narrow. My, what I said on the air was early October. We're not to early October yet, but we did have a poll on August 28th that had Fetterman only up by five. The Democratic momentum in Pennsylvania, Republicans plus eight. Now, I've kind of given you this thesis before. It's my belief that what happened with the Dobbs decision is not something that lasts until the election. The Dobbs decision came out. It took a lot of uh, Democrats by surprise. It animated the Democratic base early. And they sort of are seeing this big surge of momentum, which has given them a a decent performance in certain special uh, elections. And that's really the foundation of what you're hearing from the media. It's also a bunch of lies, and I think partially they kind of know that they're not telling the truth. They're trying to create the momentum by saying there's momentum, which, you know, when you're a Democratic operative makes sense. I don't know that it makes sense from the mainstream media, but they're going to do it anyway. So they're saying that this is happening. And one of the reasons they're saying this is because you're seeing three or four special elections that have leaned more Democrat than you would expect. And that is uh, some of them were close races that the Democrat won. Some of them were 
Republican wins, but Republican wins with smaller majorities, Democratic wins by larger majorities. We, we have seen some movement. I believe Dobbs, uh, the overturning of Roe versus Wade on 6-24-22, animated the Democratic base, and it's getting them to these special uh, elections in bigger numbers than Republicans. But when, this, when, this, when the midterms are here, and Democrats are focused, and Republicans are focused, I believe this is going to change, and I think Republicans are going to have a shot to win the Senate and a great, really good shot to win the House. I don't know that they would even be favored at this particular moment, but I, don't, I do expect these races to, to close, as we've been explaining to you today. They have narrowed quite a bit, and I think more momentum is going to come as Republicans get back uh, into the swing of the election. Again, when you win, you don't get animated to go to the polls. That's not how this works. It's when you're upset about something that you get out. And of course, this is why every fundraising email tries to scare the hell out of you, right? They want to animate you to take action. You don't take action when you're happy with the results. You take action when you're upset with the results. Really, the only person who's ever been able to master this was Ronald Reagan. Morning in America, 1984. Hey. This is going so well, and it was going so terribly before I got here. You got to vote for me. That was essentially his entire pitch, which worked really well. But since then, really, no one's been able to master that. It's been the opposite tactic. So I want to give you a little, um, you know, we're saying now the, the, the momentum switch from potentially Republicans to Democrats and maybe back the other way. This is from DDHQ. They're one of the uh, really good election analysts out there. I'm going to give you a kind of ex- expanded here. Uh, excerpt from one of their articles, uh, Roe overturned fuels Democrats' success in special elections, but don't read too much into it for November. And I think this is spot on. Um, They say the national electorate will look different in November than these special elections. The four districts that held special elections were not representative of the nation. They are heavily white. They are uh, and uh, they consist of only small to mid-sized towns and cities. Given that white voters in small to mid-sized towns and cities are trending towards the Democratic Party, especially in disproportionately well-educated areas, it shouldn't be a surprise that a significant event such as Roe versus Wade would trigger more rapid partisan realignment through educational polarization. Republicans are gaining most in areas with high minority population, which they could not uh, showcase in these special elections. The Democratic electorate in these districts is much more white and much more well-educated than the party's national voter base. And when they say well-educated, they don't mean, you know, you can hear that as saying they're smart. They're just saying how many people go to college in that particular area. Uh, These white and well-educated voters are more likely to be energized by the Dobbs decision. These special elections average 33% turnout with respect to the 2020 presidential election, a far lower turnout than expected in the midterm elections this November. Given that highly educated voters tend to be more politically active than the average American, it is unsurprising that more highly educated groups of voters and the party they support, Democrats, dominated these low turnout elections. This is where they're trying to get the story of momentum. They're picking these you know, overwhelmingly white, college-educated areas, and they're saying, hey, look how good the, Repu- the Democrats are doing there. Well, those are the exact people that would be animated by a Roe versus Wade overturn. That's not, you know, that's not uh, the African-American who thinks abortion is terrible sitting in, in their district saying, hey, uh, you know, I, 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 that's not animating them at all. What's animating the people that the media hangs out with, the people that the media is made up of, those are the people being animated by uh, the, the Dobbs decision. So I think as we get closer to this election, we will see if this plays out. There's still 
months, a couple months to go. Uh, but when we see this kind of cross the finish line, we're going to see a different picture than the one the media is playing now or, or painting for you now. And I will say they're painting it for you. It's important to understand with almost no evidence. There's a couple bits and pieces. The generic ballot has moved a little bit towards Democrats. The, um, the, the Biden approval rating has ticked up a little bit. There's a couple, these special ele- elections, there's a couple pieces of evidence. I'm not saying it's completely made up, but I just went through 10 Senate races with you, 10 of the biggest Senate races, and all of them have moved towards Republicans in the past few weeks. Are you hearing that anywhere? Is anyone noticing this? It's kind of a big piece when you're talking about the thing that we're most discussing, which is the Senate and its control as we go into 2022 and beyond. So understand that the narrative you're hearing is largely made up. There's a lot of evidence pushing back the other way as we get through the next couple of weeks and we get into serious election season. We'll be giving you updates uh, pretty much uh, every day as we look at the Senate, as we go uh, forward, the House as well the big gubernatorial races, some of the big ballot initiatives. As you know, we talk about this stuff a lot when we get into election season uh, because, you know, it's one of those things I, I have no choice but to be focused on. So I'm going to unload all this information on you. If you want to hear it, this is a great place for election coverage. We'll be doing it uh, constantly until we get this election over with. Get ready for nonstop political ads coming soon to every single medium near you. I always listen to a lot of podcasts. It's, it's a way for me to kind of help prep the show and learn about something I might need to understand uh, in my, on my drive. You know, that's dead time for me. I used to, when I, we, were, we were in New York, uh, I used to take the train all the time. So I could do all sorts of work on the train. Here, I'm driving my car, and I, I've noticed the police really frown on you using your laptop while you're on the, on the highway. I, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know if there's some, maybe it's a southern thing. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, But it's important when you're listening to podcasts uh, to be able to use your headphones because I get out of the car and I'm like, ah, I'm in the middle of something really important. Pop in my Raycon wireless earbuds. Why do I do that? Well, Raycon's awesome. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever with optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. These, these earbuds, they don't budge. They don't slip out of your ear. They don't dangle below your ear. They fit flush to your ear. They're great. They give you eight hours of playtime, 32 hours of battery life. And when you need to charge, it's super easy. You can do it wirelessly as well. This is a huge selling point. With Raycon's, you get the same quality audio as other premium audio brands, but at half the price. So why wouldn't you want Raycon? They have over 49,000 five-star reviews. You can get Raycon's wireless earbuds. Uh, You're going to want to probably buy uh, one, maybe get two pairs because they're just great to have. Uh, Go to buyraycon.com slash stew. With the money you save, you can get that uh, second pair. Plus, you'll save another 15% off your Raycon order. B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com. Buyraycon.com slash stew. Get the 15% off right now. Buyraycon.com slash stew. Let's bring in Rob Eno. He's the resident media critic here at Blaze TV. Rob, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, are you, is it going well because you're excited about the Joe Mentum that's going on here for the Democrats? Yeah, the, the Joe Mentum. I mean, come on. <laughs> the, the, if you look at the real clear politics polling average as it was in 2010, as it is to now, 2010 is the most recent Democratic first term presidency sure. that, that got turned over. I mean, it's relatively the same. The, the, these polls of mm. general election ballot always undercut um, the Republican Party. The Republican Party always overperforms. 
in these yeah, polls. The norm, it, it just, it's the norm. That, that's what happens. The norm is the Democrats lead by a little bit. Uh, right. they, I mean, there's been a little movement here. I'm not saying there's no evidence whatsoever that things have improved from, like, March. Uh, I think you can say that's true, but... This idea that they're on this incredible hot streak is just baffling to me. Yeah, it's it's a media fabrication. They, they want they want the Democrats to keep power. They're not going to keep power. Um, the, the Senate's a little bit of a toss up. We'll see mm-hmm. what happens. Um, I just saw an article today. It might have been in The Nation or, or The Atlantic where it's like Democrats want Fetterman. That's the guy in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. to stay hidden. Just yeah. stay in your closet. <laughs> Kind of almost die because you, you seem to be dying um, and not come out. So there, there's some places. I mean, there was a poll that said that Marco Rubio was down, I think, yeah. a few weeks ago. The latest poll shows Marco Rubio up. Yeah. Rubio's um, not losing. That's, yeah. not, that's not to me. That's not even a toss up election. That, that's a right. That's a lean. Republican. But they keep doing that. The AARP came out with a poll mm-hmm. yesterday that said, oh, my God, it's DeSantis is within three points. Oh, come or, on. Oh, he's winning, but it's three points. I mean, that would be a six-fold increase in the winning margin that he had the last time. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, you know, it, it's still a pretty big thing. But DeSantis is not going to lose no. Florida. And, and that's one of the reasons why Rubio is not going to lose Florida. He's going to pull – the DeSantis vote is going to pull Rubio over the line as well. Even though Rubio, I think, would win on his own, yeah. I don't think this is going to be that close. Right, and it's self-selection, right? It's, and that, that's what's happening in the United States. The, the, the meta trend is people from blue states are moving to red states, except for here in, in – Texas, where a bunch of California companies are moving and bringing their people who then leave because they're like, oh, my God, I can't get an abortion. So I have to go back to, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. to go back to California. So they, they might not even be here for the election. Right. But in Florida, Florida, because of Ron DeSantis, has historically been a purple state, mm-hmm. has been a toss up state. But it has grown more Republican over the past four years since Ron DeSantis became governor, especially because of the COVID stuff. People escaped COVID tyranny to go to Florida and they didn't look back. Yeah, including like relatives of uh, famous uh, Democrats. Exactly. <laughs> who, who, who did this? So. What do you make of this media circus around this? Because they I, I, it's when I listen to the coverage, what it seems like to me when they're talking about the momentum is just something that they want. Like they want this to be true really badly. So we're not going to look at the polls. We're not going to look at the history. We're just going to look at whatever piece of evidence we can find that supports it. And if we say the momentum is there long enough. It shall create itself. Like, that seems to be their theory. It's the, the, the law of attraction reporting. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're, they're wishboarding it. <laughs> they're wine moms yes. wishboarding yeah. um, the election. I mean, it's just <laughs> that's what they do, right? And it's, it's, and, and then they're all going to be shocked, like they were on what, November 2nd or whatever it was, 2016, mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh my God, Donald Trump's the president. Right. Like, yeah, how did that win? You know, with those of us saying he has the momentum, he has, you know, he's going to win, and people thought you were crazy for saying that. But I mean, that's what's going to happen. I, I don't know if the Senate's going to flip, and we'll see. But then the other thing is, will anything change? Yeah. Did anything change after 2010? Did did we do the things that we said we were going to do? Yeah, I mean, we as got Republicans some stuff after 2010. Done. I but, mean, that was a wave election, though. Right. I don't, I, right. You know, that would be a big deal. It's also. Such a close. They don't need that many seats to pick up. In the right. House, and that, so. that's the thing is, is you won't see as many pickups as you saw in 2010, because yeah, after 2006, no. um, when Bush lost that large amount. And then 2008, 2008 mm-hmm. there was another little wave. The delta between Democrats and Republicans was at one of its highest Massive, in, yeah. in, in the past hundred years. So it's it's I think it's 12 seats. I mean, if if six Democrats had died after the 
after the election and were replaced by Republicans. And I think it was like two of them. So it's even closer. That would have switched to be a, a Republican House even without an election. I mean, it was that close, yeah. which is why all this mandate stuff has been hilarious. Oh, it's been unbelievable. I feel like they've been more aggressive with the, the small margins. There's something about it like where Barack Obama came into office with 60 senators and he still barely got Obamacare through. Joe Biden has passed stuff that's been as expensive uh, times three uh, when, when it comes to the COVID plan as expensive with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act as Obamacare was supposedly supposed to be. And he did it with 50 senators and like four, you know, barely any any advantage at all in the House. They seem to be almost more aggressive with the small margins. Yeah, because they know that 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 power is power. Republicans don't understand that power is power. They they understand it. Oh, conservative principles. And if we talk about it and and do things and please send us more money. Right. Right. Um, When all of that stuff happens, that's what they think is governing. They don't take the advantage when they have the advantage and ram through legislation like DeSantis has done in Florida. Yeah. They don't do that. How how do you balance this, though? Because, look, I don't want to be them. I don't want to be them. I understand that, yes, you have to take advantage of when you have power. Look, like they've done, you know, the Supreme Court's a good example of that. They pushed through a bunch of Supreme Court justices with small margins in the Senate and were able to get them on. And look, great results. But that wasn't a breaking of our principles. That wasn't a breaking of conservative principles. That was just playing by the rules of the game. Uh, you know, it, there is there's a temptation, I think, on the right right now to just be like, ah, screw it. They, they suck. So we're going to suck, too. I, I don't know if it's a breaking of conservative principles to apply power when you gain it. Why else would you gain power? Right. I mean, to to, to apply power to bring us back to more towards the founding is not. Right. Being them. It's reversing. It's, it's, elections have consequences, as Barack Obama said. Mm-hmm. And elections should have consequences. They should. But we don't do that. Donald Trump didn't do that when he Donald Trump campaigned on getting rid of Obamacare. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump had the House, had the Senate after 2016, and he didn't get rid of Obamacare. Yep. And, and Mitch McConnell didn't want to because the dirty little secret is they want to be able to fundraise off of it. I mean, they, they I mean, we we cheer. Um, six twenty four twenty two. We cheer mm-hmm. the the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I guarantee you, fundraising consultants across the nation <laughs> were like, "Oh, uh, <laughs> we can't fundraise on." You know, I will go and stop Roe v. Wade yeah. because it has been stopped. The politics I mean, of that are interesting too, because in some ways, while. We were on the losing side of the pro-life argument. And I should point out, more importantly, tens of millions of children were on the losing side of the pro-life argument for 50 years. In a way, we were on the, the better side politically because we could sit here and say, we want that to change. We want that to change. And the other side was like, well, we already have it. We don't need to do anything. That dynamic has changed here. And I think what has happened, it's, 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 let me run this theory by you. The movement that we have seen, whatever, not as big as what the media is trying to say, but the media, the movement that we have seen on the left as far as uh, a bounce back in these polls, I think has been caused by the Dobbs decision uh, animating the left base quickly. It, it animated them to be like, oh, my gosh, we're losing our rights, blah, 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 blah. Let's get to those polls. Let's over, let's win this race in Kansas, which they had no right to, to win. Right? I think if you run that race two years from now. It's got oh, Roe versus Wade would not be would not remain in the state constitution, but it animated the Democratic voters early. 
And, you know, you know, from watching sports, peaking like the Yankees did this year in, you know, May and June is not always the best thing. They got all their voters all excited for these special elections. But I think the Republican voters are going to when when this is a big election, everybody's thinking about it. They're going to get back to the table. These polls are going to close. Republicans are going to start taking leads. And this is going to get a lot closer. Right. And and you look at I think it was a I think it's a YouGov poll that came out the past couple of days that showed that that the actual momentum is with Republicans and independents that mm. are voting for Republicans. It's, you know, it's the will you crawl over glass to, to right. vote this year is with Republicans. So the momentum is there that Democrats, I don't think you're going to see them rush to the polls like you'll see in Republicans. And I think, you know, Joe Biden calling Republicans semi-fascists mm-hmm. is going to get them to the polls so they can show them. It, it energizes this space. I, I go back and I go back a lot to the Scott Brown election in 2010 mm. um, when Scott Brown, after Ted Kennedy died, won that special election as a Republican in Massachusetts. Um, there, there were two candidates and both of them were saying the same message. Scott Brown said, I will be the 41st vote to stop Obamacare. And his opponent said, Scott Brown will be the 41st vote to stop Obamacare. That's evil. They both said yeah. the same message, mm-hmm. and, the, and the people of Massachusetts didn't want Obamacare, even in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then Scott Brown won the election. Now, they did some interesting things with reconciliation to get it passed quickly. Um, they got it through. What and they, it? they got it yeah. through, yeah. And, and, you know, they, there were some things that stayed in that bill that, you know, that, that if John Roberts wasn't John Roberts— could have used to get rid of the entire law because they didn't put in the severability clause. Um, most most legislations get something that's called the severability clause, which means that you can take out parts of this legislation, strike it down, and the rest of the legislation will stay. Mm-hmm. That didn't get put in, in in conference committee because the Senate had to do it real quick before Scott Brown got signed. Yeah, it's really, really incredible. That, that whole yeah. scenario was incredible. Let, let's go to Massachusetts here for a second because they, you've got one of the most popular governors in America, is in Massachusetts and is a Republican, which I think most people don't realize. I mean, that's just just. A, a, He's governed somewhat as a Democrat. Yeah, he I is, mean, I've known he Charlie is, for a long time. Disclosure: I've I've sold things to Charlie in a past life. Is it um, uh, drugs or no? What, no, what, no, no. Okay, uh, I just want to see if you're printing this. political printing. Okay. That okay. that's got, got it. But, uh, but the same situation yeah. in Maryland, right? We have Larry Hogan, very very popular Republican, kind of runs as a moderate slash yeah. maybe moderate Democrat a lot of times, at least to the rest of the country. But he's leaving. And now you have uh, a, a race for governor, and it seems like there's no interest at all for Massachusetts to go for, with another Republican, even though they've enjoyed this past one. No, because Charlie governed as a Democrat. He, he brought Democrats into his campaign. Um, he won with tremendous Democratic support. Yeah. In, in, but it's because he's kind of governed as a Democrat. He, he's, he did some good things during COVID. Um, but yeah, you've, you've got a race there between Mara Healy, who's... Um, one of those activist attorney generals mm-hmm. um, is going to be an absolute horror show um, as the governor of Massachusetts. <laughs> you have Chris Saliza already doing a, a puff piece on her yesterday in his email, which was kind of funny because we talk about misinformation all the time. Yeah. Um, Saliza, the CNN writes uh, the point email. It's, it's about politics. And he wrote that she would be the first female governor of Massachusetts. Well, Jane Swift, um, who was the first female governor of Massachusetts as an acting governor um, after the governor left to become the um, ambassador to Canada when George Bush appointed him, would probably have a lot to say about yeah. that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like in 2002-ish, 2001, 
actually 2001 because Romney won in 2002 and won. So it was like in, in right around 2001 that she became the governor for about two years. So, I mean, people called her Governor Swift. Yeah. Said, how are you, he Governor was the Swift? Governor. Yeah. Um, she was written about as Governor Swift. But, they, but, but glass ceilings don't get broken by Republicans. That, oh, no. They don't count. Well, I, I got one for you. The mm-hmm. first transgendered African-American state representative in the country mm-hmm. was a black Republican named Althea Garrett. Hmm. I um, didn't in know Massachusetts. That. Really? But you don't hear that, right? No, I've and, never and, heard and, that. And, and this person is a huge Trump supporter and used to come with us in door knock for pro-life candidates. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you don't hear that. It's to your same yeah. point. No, I've never heard that before. That's uh, yeah. That's fascinating. And this was like in the 80s. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like the 80s or 90s. Yeah. Really? Gosh, yeah. wow, that's fascinating. Um, okay, yeah. so, uh, well, I think we solved the election. I think we're, right. we're, we're there. Um, let me, uh, <laughs> I got to take a break. We're running so so late. Uh, Rob, you know, he's a resident media critic here for Blaze TV. Be sure to follow him on all social medias, all the internets, wherever you are, so you don't miss anything. Uh, Rob, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So Britain's Queen Elizabeth is dead. Uh, Big story, obviously, today. Uh, She passed away, they say, uh, peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. Uh, The king and the queen consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow. Her eldest son, Charles, automatically becomes king of the United Kingdom and head of state of the other 14 realms, realms, including Australia, Canada, and New Zealand, which is interesting. I will say, you know, I... Look, this is obviously a big story. I'm not 100% sure as to why it's a big story, per se. Uh, and I know that sounds weird, but, like, you know, I love Great Britain. Big fans, big fans of Great Britain. Love England. Uh, huge fans, special relationship, all that jazz. I'm totally in on it. Not as much on the monarchy part, part of it. It's not my favorite part of, of Great Britain. We, you know, just, you know. But, again, historic figure. Uh, she was there for, like, you know, what the, she was the longest-serving uh, head of state in the world. So obviously there's a big story there. On the other hand, we've kind of fought the Revolutionary War so we wouldn't have to care about the monarchy. That's kind of the, one of the reasons why we did it. So, look, I feel really bad for the family. And of course, you know, again, like there's a tragedy and there's just a human tragedy. And of course, I care about it from that perspective. She was also 96 years old. So it's a little bit it's a little bit of a weird one. Uh, I, I can say for sure I feel terrible for for her and her family. It's always something no matter how what the situation is, it's always difficult to deal with. On the other hand, I, I don't know that we should be stunned by this development um, at this point. Uh, she did not look all that well. They kind of had this thing that came out earlier today and said, hey, guys, uh, she's under medical surveillance. Not exactly so promising. And sadly, she did uh, pass away today. She was 96 and Charles becomes king at 73. Uh, it is a strange, strange system of government. I'm glad we don't have it, but I feel for the people of the UK today. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do, and it can be so much worse when you're not working with the right real estate agent. Don't pick your real estate agent, you know, up because you're like at some coffee place and there's a business card tacked to a, cl- uh, a cork board. It's not a way to do it. You're passing a, a 
uh, a bus bench and there's a the homeless person laying on it and they sit up and behind that you see a smiling face of a real estate agent and you say, that's the person I want to call to uh, handle my biggest financial transaction. That doesn't make any sense. You do realize that, right? Instead, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a service that Glenn Beck started years ago to sort through real estate agents, to give you some sort of way of understanding who's good at this job and who isn't. I know we don't do that with politicians, but it's kind of important to do with real estate agents. You can do that as well at realestateagentsitrust.com. Provide them some basic info. The team will contact you to make sure your uh, your introduction goes smoothly and the entire transaction goes the same way. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now, realestateagentsitrust.com. New poll out from CBS News. Should there be maximum age limits for elected officials? Overwhelmingly, people say... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 73% say yes, there should be age limits. 27% say no. And this is really a bipartisan issue. 71% of Democrats say yes. 75% of independents say yes. 75% of Republicans say yes, there should be age limits. Uh, interesting, when they break it down by age, the group that was most skeptical of age limits only 68% support, which is still pretty high, but only 68% support was 18 to 29-year-olds, the youngest age group. The old people are like, yeah, you shouldn't let any of us in. No, (laughs) please don't let us actually continue to uh, be in office. I mean, almost everybody. You think about this every once in a while. You're like, we can't have someone really old like Joe Biden to be president. And then you're looking at his main competition, and it's Donald Trump, who's also in his 70s. (laughs) Now, he seems like he's a lot younger because he can speak and form complete sentences occasionally, uh, but uh, not Joe Biden. Uh, By the way, they say, if you ask people what age should be the max, 8% said 50, 26% said age 60 should be the max, 40% said age 70, 18% said age 80, and 2% said at age 90. Uh, So there you go. Uh, That's not term limits. That's just, hey, you're too old. I don't care how many terms you've been here, get out. Uh, by the way, I think we should just come up with a rule of maybe, maybe, let me just run this by you. Perhaps, maybe, you know, if you can't talk, you shouldn't be able to run for office. John Fetterman does say he will debate Dr. Oz. Uh, he is not giving a time or a date or a location, but he says he will do it before the campaign is over. We'll, we'll see. And by the way, we're coming up on September 11th here soon. And we're still having these places that are trying to take advantage of September 11th. Like, it's an important date. People know about it. We should do something at our restaurant to feature it. It's just never a good idea, guys. Just just remember this. Uh, Patriot Day 2022. This is a, uh, a, a seafood restaurant. They had the Freedom Flounder, the Pentagon Pie. No. The 9-11 Oysters. No, 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 no. Uh, they had the uh, 20... Uh, I can't read that. 20, oh, my God. 2977 chowder. That's how many people die. No, people. No, don't, don't do these things. The Flight 93 Redirect Crab Dip. What? <laughs> uh, and the Remember Teeny. And, of course, the Never Forget Sampler. Uh, the, the 2970. Holy crap, that's dark. The 2977 chowder. Just, you got to abandon that. Don't do this anymore. If you're thinking, hey, we can, ch- we're sending, you know, we're sending, we're selling a window, a windshield repair. Let's tie it into 9-11. No, just don't reverse course the opposite direction, please. I, although I will say every year there's one of these stories and it's really, really dark, but 
It's also kind of funny. I, I'm sorry. I know I should. It just, it's mostly dark, but a little bit funny. Back in a second. Make sure to head over to blazetv.com slash stew and subscribe to Blaze TV. If you use the promo code stew, you'll save 10 bucks. We're also available, though, every show. We would appreciate it. Even if you're not spending the cash, we would love you on YouTube or podcast. Just click like, click follow. Do all the things that podcasters ask you to do because uh, they tell me it helps. I, I think it does, but I, don't, I can't really prove that to you, frankly. But I know the show's growing really fast and you keep doing it. So thank you. Blazetv.com slash stew. We'll see you tomorrow.